Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Just when you thought that I would shift subjects and no longer preach on the topic of identity, you got Jesus juked again, twice this morning. Not only do you need to buy your tickets, but you're also in for another round of identity, okay? So um, I'm not going to hit on identity as I have over the past couple of weeks, but I am going to kind of move into another realm of identity in examining who the Bible says that you are. How many of you guys would like to know that? Yeah, that's me. Absolutely. Well, I I mapped out this message um, this week. And throughout the week, I kept hearing this phrase over and over again in my spirit. And I knew it was something that God was speaking to me. So on Saturday afternoon, after a whole week of hearing this phrase, I decided to take the message I had and postpone it and rewrite the message, which is the message you're going to get today. And the title is this phrase that I heard in my spirit all week long, which is this, alters not idols. All right? Altars, not idols. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we declare today that our lives are altars unto the living God. Jesus, you are king. You stay the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are unchanging. Your grace is everlasting. Your mercy is made new every single day. And we are grateful recipients of your great grace this morning. So we come before you. We come before your word expecting to be transformed more into your image by your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I'll take some transformation this morning. How about you? So for the past three weeks, as we have talked about identity, we went all philosophical and we talked about the concept of identity. How many of you were here for the last couple of weeks? Most of you guys, how many of you guys watched online for the last couple of weeks? You know, I've been sending that message to quite a few people because after we've spoken on the topic, I'm like, just listen to the message. And I'm reluctant to send my own sermons to people. But for the past few weeks, I'm like, you got to listen to this one. All right, I think this one was good. And uh, embedded within those messages was a little point on identity factors. Do you guys remember us talking about identity factors? They are the various roles that make up who we are. Our, Our identity is derived from where we get our sense of self, where we get our sense of safety, our sense of security, and our sense of significance, okay? That's where we get our identity from. Now, we all wear various hats throughout life, and they're different roles, and they all make up a part of who we are, and those things are called our identity factors. Everybody say identity factors. So, like, some of my identity factors are I'm a dad, I'm a leader, I'm a pastor, I'm a man, right? All of these things, uh, they inform who I am. And so when my identity factors have to line up, when I put them all in uh, order of importance, what I want to do is I want to put Jesus supremely at the top. How about you, Christian peoples? We want to put Jesus at the top. And by putting Jesus at the top and crowning him king supreme over all of our identity factors, then that establishes our identity and makes us strong and secure in who we are. Right now, on the other hand, if something else is in that top spot, we are in trouble. I think we've established that over the past couple of weeks. If we put anything else in that supreme place, we are headed quick for something called an identity crisis. So as we kick off, I just want to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. It's not going to be on the screen. And the reason for that is because it was in our reading this morning. For those of you guys who go through the Bible reading plan, this was in our reading this morning. And I thought, that is too good and too relevant. That's God speaking. That has to be a part of the message today. 
Colossians 1 and 18 says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Isn't that a good scripture? I'm going to read it again. Christ is also the head of the church. If you guys didn't know, Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. He is the beginning. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first. Everybody say first. In everything. So if you're going to have a stable and secure gospel identity, if you're going to have a strong identity, Jesus must be foundational and first in how you define you. That's the only way that it works. And God actually gave us this holy strategy a long time ago through Moses and the Ten Commandments. How many of you remember the first commandment? I am the Lord, and you shall have no other God before me. Basically, essentially, way back when, when God gave us the Ten Commandments, He was revealing to us how to have a stable identity. Just follow the Ten Commandments right here. Here's the very first thing. When all of your identity factors get in a line, put me at the top. And that's how you'll be identified as my people and how you'll have a strong and fortified identity as you go through life. God has to be number one. And when you get this, you really learn who you are. And when you really learn who you are, it changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, your whole life is different when you really learn who you are. Uh, I heard one preacher say, when you find God, you find yourself. Because you don't know who you are until you are connected to Jesus through salvation and intimacy. You don't know who you are. You cannot find yourself outside of an intimate, connected relationship with Jesus. That's a good point right there for all the Christians to say amen. But everything in our world competes for that top spot, doesn't it? Everything in our world. But when Jesus stays first, we thrive in life. And as I mentioned earlier, when anything else takes over, we have what sociologists call an identity crisis. An identity crisis. Um, I wrote down, you know, I wrote down what it looks like to have an identity crisis. And uh, I'm sure we've all gone through an identity crisis. But really, um, how many of you have gone through that before? Right. So how do you know that Jesus is top in your list? Here's how you know. When hardship happens. So when you go through a storm, when you go through a wilderness, when you go through a t- trial, when you face, uh, you know, persecution, when you have hardship happen in your life, here's what happens. Identity gets revealed. Because until hardship, idolatry can be concealed. So we have to be mindful of this, church. Because when we go through stuff, we go through a hard time. Some of you guys have gone through a hard time 2020. I mean, most of the world has gone through a hard time in 2020. You know what? I thank God for the purifying fire. I mean, I hate what we've gone through. I dislike it very much. But I thank God for the purifying fire that he sent upon us, that he sent upon me, that he sent upon the church. And in the process of revealing to us who we really are, he's also uh, revealed to us who we're really not, as well as the sin of our idolatry. And when we embrace idolatry, it is sure that you are going to dive headlong into an identity crisis. And and here are the elements of an identity crisis. I actually actually wrote these down because I thought they would be helpful just so that you could identify what it is. All right. So the first thing is fear and anxiety that what's in the first place is going to be taken away from you. So you become defensive and deflective. The second thing you do is panic. Panic happens, and then there's a hasty attempt to salvage your identity. You become overly protective and dismissive. And then the third and final thing is that you look for somebody to blame. So it could be God first, could be somebody else, or it could be you. You unhealthily become a victim and take no responsibility for your crisis. So (laughs) I'm not trying to start so punchy today, but just... Just an outline, all right? I'm not particularly applying it to anybody in here. It'll be those who attend the 11 in two weeks probably. But these are the components, uh, you know, general components of an identity crisis. And 
What I want to state very clearly is if Jesus is not supreme in your life, if Jesus does not have that top spot in the list of your identity factors, you're going to go through this time and time again for your whole life, and you're going to consistently ask this question, who am I? The result of this process is this question, who am I? Who am I? And you know what? I praise God for a good identity crisis. You know, it wasn't until Peter's final identity crisis that he actually stepped into his ministry. I heard one man say one time, we're all just one great mistake away from a breakthrough. <laughs> you know, the goodness of, it is the goodness of God to, al- to allow us to have an identity crisis because then we recognize what it is we've built our life upon. And anytime idolatry is revealed, sure, it might be difficult, but it's a reason to celebrate because we're recognizing our lives are built on the wrong thing. And we no longer have to live life in such a way where we're asking, who am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? What am I called to do? What, what am I supposed to become? But we can be sure-footed in the knowing that we belong to Jesus and our identity is secure and it is safe and it is unshakable in Christ. So I don't know about you, but I just want to proclaim today that the cycle of identity crisis in my life ends today. How about that? If you've gone through this for decades, can I proclaim over your heart this morning, church fam, that the cycle of identity crisis in your life ends today. And not because we're preaching this, but because God says so. Because the Holy Spirit wants to move on your spirit to reveal to you who you are in Christ and establish you in that so that you are unshakable in your sonship. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I want that. So what does the Bible say that you are? Or who does the Bible say that you are? Now, I'm going to kind of look historically by starting in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. But if you'd like to take notes, here is the first thing. If you want to write down some identity affirmations and you're wondering, who am I? Who am I? And you've been asking yourself that question. Here is number one. Who does the Bible say that you are? You are an image bearer. Everybody say, I am an image bearer. That means you look like God. And to clarify, it's not that God looks like you. It's that you look like God. Okay? We are all image bearers. That goes for Christians and non-Christians. That goes for saints and sinners. We're all image bearers. This isn't going over too well. I can tell this is conflicting right now with culture. But it helps us to dignify and to recognize people appropriately as we understand this eternal truth. We are all image bearers. So this should push us in how we relate to other human beings. We're all image bearers. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. This is where we get that from the Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Everybody say likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them male and female He created them. Now, I want you to notice something as you read through Genesis chapter 1. When God is moving through the process of creating everything, notice this, that God only made one thing in His image. You. He didn't make the animals in His image. He didn't make nature in His image. He didn't make the trees in His image. He didn't make the seas in His image. He made you and you alone in His image. Humanity only. We are the only ones that have been made into the image of God. And this is how we image God. If you've ever wondered to yourself, okay, I'm an image bearer. What does that mean? I also have another list for you. You guys okay with the list today? We're just going deep, all right? That's just what we have to do when we talk about identity. So here's how we image God. Number one is that we think with our heads. We think God thoughts and agree with his truth as revealed in scripture. Number two is we feel with our hearts. We feel God's feelings. We hate injustice and oppression. We love people. We grieve sin and rejoice in redemption. 
Number three is by doing with our hands. We join God's work by serving others with compassion and generosity. This is how we image God. This is how we live like God. And something that's not in my list but bears uh, being reminded of is that we were also fashioned for family and we were created for community. I want you to think about that within the context of the Trinity. Right? Fashion for family. If we've been created in the image of God, we've been fashioned for, for family and we've been created for community. The Trinity is forever outpouring love and joy and communication and peace and be between itself, himself, the fullness of the Godhead, the persons that make up the one God that we worship. There is that forever outpouring, right? So... I know that's a little deep, that's somewhat of a deep thought, but it's important to note because of where we're going next. Now, remember in Genesis chapter one, whenever the serpent tempts our first parents, Adam and Eve, what does he say? If you would just eat of this forbidden fruit, what does he promise? You'll become like God. Where's the lie? We've already been like God. God. We see right there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we have already been created like God. But here's what the enemy, now recognize this church because this is what the enemy always tries to promise you through sin, is that if you'll just do this one thing, you'll become more like God. You'll know more, you'll be more wise, you'll be smarter, you'll look better, you'll be more affluent, you'll have more. Well, God has everything, right? And so what does the enemy promise? Go ahead and do that. You'll be just like God. Remember who you are, church. You are already like God. And this is what always happens. Like, put this thing here in the top spot of your identity factors and you'll become more like God. And you just, no, I don't need to put anything else other than Jesus in that top spot because I'm already like God. That's the way that God made me. I am already like him. Our first parents, they tried to manufacture their own identity. And I hope this has been established over the past three weeks. You cannot manufacture your own identity. You don't get to make yourself up as you go along. I would even say you don't even really get to reinvent yourself. You've been invented by the great inventor. You've been created by the great creator. And, you know, I think if you want to reinvent yourself, simply return back to your original design and you will have your best self and you will live your best life. <laughs> I'm living my best life. Not if you are not identifying with Christ on the cross, going down in the grave three days later, resurrecting to brand new life of abundance. That is your best life. Is when you identify with Jesus is when you're living your best life. We notice that, you know, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They traded in their altar for an idol. Here's point two. I want to move through this. But this is the second one. This is so important. I am a worshiper. Okay, is this overly simple for you guys so far? It's super crucial. I am an image bearer, number one. Number two is I am a worshiper. Now, I want to make a statement here that may sound a, a bit controversial. Uh, you were not created to worship. I'm going to do another one. You were not created for worship. I said to you like this, you were created worshiping. All right, and I got a picture for you guys. It's a little... Um, it's a, it's a little, uh, humane. Okay. So just, it's got, you know, that's Rua. So she's here, you know, she's here in the front row. This is her just a few months ago. Uh, just, this is like within the first three seconds of her, you know, being born after C-section, and uh, I wish I could show you the live photo, but she literally comes out, eyes open, and she's like waving her hand, like screaming. I'm like, she's worshiping. Like the very first thought that I had when I saw her, I was like, she's worshiping. <clears throat> I thought, man, this is amazing. Like the, this little worshiper, you know, and as I began to study identity, I began to recognize that that is, that is truly who she is. She was not born to worship. She was not born for worship, but she was born worshiping. 
and that's the way that all of us are born truly. We're not created to worship. You know why? Because God doesn't need our worship. Even if we don't worship, God is not incomplete. We're not created to worship because God requires nothing outside of himself. He is God all by himself. So it doesn't matter if you choose to worship or not. That does not uh, negate who he is, his identity. You're not created for worship because you're created in God's image. And the Trinity forever pours out love to all persons of the Godhead. Therefore, worship cannot be a category of your life. Worship is your life. Worship is not something that you segment and get to say, okay, I'm going to worship now. No, you've been worshiping from the beginning. We start our worship services here at 9 a.m., but the truth is we can't really start worship because we can't stop worship. Worship is just who we are. It's how we've been created because we've been created in the likeness of God, and God has forever been worshiping within himself of the three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity. Worship has always existed. Worship will always exist. The question is not whether or not you can worship. You are a worshiper and you are worshiping right now, whether you know it or not. You've been worshiping. You were worshiping before you got saved. You're worshiping after you've been saved. You will always be worshiping. The question is not whether or not you will worship. The question is, what will you worship? Because you're created in the likeness of God, so you're created worshiping. You don't get to choose whether or not you want to worship. It's not a choice. You don't even have to believe in God. You can be an atheist, but you can be still a worshiper. Because even an atheist, despite what they do or do not believe, was created in the image of God, so they're worshiping. It's just the way that it goes. So what will be the object of your worship? That's the question, church. What will be the object of your worship? And to simplify it so that you don't get confused making some big long list of what you could or could not be worshiping, you will either worship one of two things. Every human being can only worship one of two things. Number one is the creator. Number two is things he created. That's the, only, that's the only two things that you can possibly worship. Remember what I said, it's altars, not idols. So you've got to, you have to make a choice where you want to build your altar. Do you want to do that before the throne of God and worship Jesus alone and first? Or do you want to worship created things? Uh, Romans actually gives us a scripture on this. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, 25, it says, They traded the truth about God for a lie. Idolatry is a lie. Putting anything else in the top spot of your list of identity factors is a lie and will lead you to live a lie and not your purpose. So what happened? They worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So one commentator named David Pallison said this, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. When a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. That's a good bumper sticker, isn't it? When a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. That is hashtag idolatry. Anything you have to check with before you say yes to God is an idol. Anything you have to check on before you submit yourself to the word of God is an idol. And it is in the top spot. It is something that goes before God. And if you are recognizing that today, church, I want you to repent because you are moving quickly towards an identity crisis. All it's going to take is for that top thing to be threatened. And you will go through that cycle. And when you are through that cycle, you know what's going to happen? You're going to say, who am I? Come back to the gospel. Come back to the person of Jesus. Come back to the cross. Come back to the resurrection. Come back to the Holy Spirit. 
come back to your gospel identity and who God says that you are through the eternal truth of the Bible. That is the only sure way to have a safe and secure soul as we walk through this life of constant trouble and temptation. It is Jesus, only Jesus. It's only always been Jesus. It will only always be Jesus. And looking for any kind of identity outside of the man Christ Jesus will leave you upset, depressed, oppressed, lost, confused, neglected, whatever it is. It not, it, none of it will work outside of him. That's it. Is that, is that clear enough this morning? It's all about Jesus. Your life is all about Jesus. If you're a Christian, that's what it means to become a Christian, right? To become Christ-like. You dedicate and devote your life as a disciple to following Jesus and becoming more like the Messiah, your rabbi. As you follow Jesus, that's what you learn. You learn who you are in Christ. And that's why it's important this morning that we start with the fact, with the fact, with the truth, better said, is that you are a worshiper and you have been made in the image of God. If that does not encourage you, I don't know what I need to get any more encouraging, probably an organ player. But like if I were to say, look, you, you have literally been made in the image of God. Look at the favor that is resting upon your life. What are the chances that you were even going to be born anyway? And here you are sitting in this room, healthy enough to go to church in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, looking like God with your bad self. embracing who you really are, walking in the high calling of your identity and who he's called you to be by coming to church and engaging in who you are as a worshiper. I just, I just don't know how to encourage you anymore, to be honest with you. But you know what happens when we put off these things and we forget the fact that we are constantly worshiping is that we engage in something that I'll call today identity idolatry, yeah. all right? Identity idolatry. And so what I was hoping to do today, and this is just what I felt all week as I was praying about this, altars, not idols, altars, not idols, altars, not idols. I thought, God, what is our idols? So what I want to do today, and so I, now that I've gone through the encouraging part, here's the discouraging part. <laughs> um, I want to help you identify some possible idols and idolatry in your life. That, that, how's that for like just a tee up for success? That just doesn't, doesn't feel like a message anybody wants to listen to. You know, does it? But what is identity idolatry? It's what happens when anything aside from Jesus takes the top spot in our list of identity factors. Whatever is in that place is what we worship. If it's not God, it's an idol. Let me give you uh, one line you can write down. We worship what we want the most. Just think about that. Just let that sit for a second. You worship what you want the most. What, what is the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your... You know what the best translation of the word heart there is? Desire. Even when you read the Bible and it talks about heart, which it talks about heart a lot, and even though it, used the, it uses the Greek word cardia, it only refers to the actual physical heart uh, one, maybe two times in all throughout the scripture. Every other time you can substitute the word desire in there and get a good understanding of what the scripture is trying to communicate. When God says, you shall love me. And how is it that God can command you to love him? Because he created you. He's allowed to tell you what you can and can't do because he invented you. He said, here, you love me. How, how can he do that? Because he put the capacity in you to love him because he stepped into you when you received him. Right? So we all have that ability. And he said, you shall love me with your whole desire. So we worship what we want the most. Here is what our idols are. I've, I have like, what is this called? An acrostic? Boom. That's what I'm talking about. I heard bliss agree. And so I was like, teacher agreement. I know this is good. 
Um, idols, all right? This is what idols could be, okay? So just look at the list, take a picture of it. How many of you guys are scared right now? You're like, I don't even know. I don't even, I didn't even want to come today, all right? I should have left, I should have left after worship, you know? I love it. Here's what idols are. They are items, they are duties, they can be others, longings, a.k.a. feelings. Oh, snap. And then lastly, sufferings. Okay? So that is what our idols can be. Items, duties, others, longings, and sufferings. So the very first one we're going to hit on today is items. Oh, man, buckle up. Consumerism has become the American religion. That's, 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 that's the facts. Consumerism has become the American religion. Uh, has become the American religion. And when possessions become your identity, brand names become very important. You have to wear a particular brand. You have to have a certain type of sneaker. And you have to put it on Instagram every time you wear it. Whenever possessions become idols, you have to drive a certain type of car. And you want to make sure that everybody knows that you drive that particular type of car. Now, y'all pray for me when I get a Tesla so that I don't do that, all right? But they're not even that much. I remember one time somebody said, you shouldn't talk about a Tesla, that you want a Tesla. You can get one for 30 grand, okay? Y'all Calm down. Let your pastor have a $30,000 Tesla one day. Amen. Somebody agree with me. I'm trying to reduce my carbon footprint, okay? The motivation is good, and I want autopilot. Hallelujah. It's okay to want stuff. The, the problem is not, you know, wanting stuff. It's wanting stuff more than you want God. That's when you know possessions have become idols. It's okay. If you want an expensive pair of shoes, great. Want it. If you want a particular type of clothing, great. Want it. That's fine. Go get it. Just make sure is that whenever that list of identity factors gets sorted, Prada doesn't get first spot. Gucci doesn't get first spot. The Tesla doesn't get first spot. The zip code that you want to live in doesn't get first spot. Are you guys with me? Yeah. All right, because all of these things are items. And um, this sociologist named Thorstein Veblum, all right, interesting name, but he said something and he defined it as conspicuous consumption when talking about our cu culture today. And he said this, the chief way we obtain social prestige and power is through conspicuous displays of leisure and consumption. Okay, it's, it's a little deep. Let me read it again. The chief way we obtain social prestige and power is through conspicuous displays of leisure. How many times do you have to thumb through Instagram before you see a picture of somebody engaging a leisurely activity that they would like you to see and be impressed by? Look where I am. Look what I'm doing. It's way better than whatever you're doing. And the fact that you are envious of what I am doing assages my false identity. It's where I get my safety and my security. Is this, it's hitting now. It's like cultural now, right? So we are now entertained, and I get it because it is fun, but we are now entertained by watching home tours of the world's most elite celebrities. So no long, my wife's like, yes, that's right. We are entertained by that because we always have on YouTube like home tours and we like looking at that stuff. But the problem with that is this, is that instead of just comparing our homes to those that are sharing the neighborhood, we're now comparing our homes with the world's most wealthy and elite people. And that is driving us, if our identity is misplaced, to go into great debt and make unwise decisions trying to keep up with people that we see on Instagram that we don't even know right. 
to impress people who don't even care. And in the process, trying to support this false identity that is so unstable and unshakable, unless you have the money to buy this season's wardrobe, your identity takes a hit when you realize you're wearing fall, winter 2019. Who am I if I don't have new off-white? You know? Who am I? I got to get the newest, latest, greatest. Who am I if I don't have the new iPhone? It's too real, isn't it? Here's how you know that you've got your identity invested in items. When you see other people who don't have what you have and you demean them. They don't, they don't have anything. They don't have what I have. Look at what I got. Look at what they don't got. You have too much of your identity invested in your possessions. Because if your possessions are causing you to look down on another image bearer, hashtag idolatry. Listen, the problem is not in the mall. The problem is in you. So don't demonize the culture. Repent. Listen, how can you expect God to give you breakthrough in the culture if you hate it? Right? It needs to start in the house of the Lord. That's what the Bible says, right? Repentance starts in the house, right? And I don't have any problem with you wearing off-white or Gucci or any of that. I like all that stuff, all right? It's dope. This is my favorite brand right here. But I'll give this to you if you want it. You know what I mean? Especially if led by the Holy Spirit, not under compulsion. <laughs> okay, here's number two. Duties. Here's what this is. It's finding identity in achievement. Hey, the, the people who have their identity invested in their achievements, they won't do anything they're not good at. Dang. Because they don't feel like themselves unless they feel superior to other people. So the only place that you'll catch them hanging out in is a place that props up their personal sense of power. So they can't hang out with anybody who does not affirm their false sense of self and embrace their arrogance. So they just won't hang out there. They're like, I ain't going to be friends with those people. Why? Because they don't support your false identity? This is too real, isn't it? I don't know. I can't tell. I, I Honestly, I really can't tell if it's like, this doesn't make sense. Or like, oh my God. <laughs> That's an idol. That's idolatry. Are, are you like, I mean, if you're so consumed with your own praise and you won't hang out with anybody who doesn't let you talk about you for 45 minutes of the hour-long conversation that you have. It's hard to have Jesus at the center when you're that self-centered. I'm glad you guys like me because I can say these things. Here's what happens when they have their identity in duties is they find their thing and then they just go all in. And they're completely obsessive about it. And they will lose friends. They'll lose fr family. They'll even sacrifice their health in the process of obsessing over that thing because they must win because their identity is attached to that thing. And whenever they win, they demean everybody who loses. And then whenever they lose, they become depressed and devastated. And neither one is fun to be around. Nobody likes to hang out with anybody who is idolizing their own personal achievements. You're just not fun to hang out with. Listen, you are not what you do, but what Jesus has done. Let me say it again. You are not what you do, but what Jesus has done. To say it another way, what you do does not determine who you are. Rather, who you are in Christ determines what you do. Let me say it again. What you do doesn't determine who you are. Rather, who you are in Christ determines what you do. 
You shouldn't be living for identity. You should be living from identity. So when you make out your schedule, this is just a little life hack. Can I give you this? Something the Lord convicted me of uh, last year. He said, you're living too much for your identity. I want you to start living from your identity. So instead of looking at your responsibilities and everything you've got to get done this week, the first list I want you to make is who I say that you are. So I want you to start with the fact that you are my son. So if your identity, first and foremost, is that you are an image bearer and you are my son, then what needs to go on your schedule first? Oh, I need to spend time with my dad. I'm a son. I need to spend time with a father. Okay, well, if that's first, then schedule in your prayer time. Let's start with that. I mean, how often does prayer time go when somebody says, you want to get a coffee? I want you to come over and like watch a movie and you had felt convicted by the Lord in prayer. No, I'm going to spend my Friday night in worship. I'm going to be on prayer room this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. YouTube slash Legacy Nashville. I'm going to watch prayer room. I'm going to live comment. I'm going to get in there. And somebody says, you want to go, you know, see a movie, do something else? Yeah, sure. No problem. I'm not busy. No, living from identity is you schedule those things in first. You know what a holy identity factor is for me is that I'm a dad. I'm also a husband. But how often in the name of ministry do we cut out time with our spouse or our kids in the name of doing something for God? That's duties. It's idolatry. It's possible to be a Christian and be obedient to God in the macro, but totally idolize your ministry in the micro day to day. You could be doing what God called you to do all the while embracing idolatry by making your ministry more important than your health, making it more important than your kids, making it more important than your spouse, making it more important than actual communion with the Holy Spirit, making it more important than devotional time in the Word of God. That is called idolatry. You're just doing something that looks honorable. You can do the honorable thing uh, and be disobedient. Why do messages always go like this, Lord? Okay, number three. I got to move through these. Number three is others. I've already said this before, but God has fashioned you for family, okay? But idolatry happens when you base your identity on who you're connected to. Well, I know this person. And hey, we can even do that in church. Well, my pastor is... Insert celeb pastor, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for the opportunity they have to minister to to who they minister to. I'm simply saying we can get unhealthy value from those things and be taking our identity from the people we hang out with, taking our identity from the community that we belong to. And you're like, oh, I don't do that. Totally don't do that. Are you doing that with your politics? Well, I am this. Well, I am that. Well, I am conservative. Well, I am progressive. Well, I am Democrat. Well, I am Republican. Like this, what about that community? Got quiet. What about, what about the color of our skin? What about our ethnicity? What about that community? We have to identify first and foremost with who we are in Christ Jesus. The other things inform who we are. You can be a white Christian. You can be a black Christian. You can be an Indian Christian. You can be African Christian. It doesn't matter. But you're just not that first. First, we are in Christ. First, we are in Christ Jesus. This is the supreme place. And when you have something else in the supreme place, you know what you do? You demean, you vilify, and you hate all the other people that don't belong to that same community. 
I, I really would like to dive into that deeper because I think we really need a strong revelation on that. Because if we could get a real strong revelation in that, we would, we would be able to achieve a greater degree of unity in the body of Christ. Because we wouldn't demean other believers who look different than us. We would actually see them as image bearers and recognize that they have something to teach us despite the fact that the only identity factor that we share is that we're both in Christ. You guys get what I'm saying? Like, I don't really know how to explain this well, but do you give me permission to process it? I'm going to try to do my best. But like, um, can you guys just pretend I'm rich for a second? I'm not, okay? I'm rich in Jesus. I got an amazing wife and family. But listen, just pretend like I'm super wealthy. Obviously, I'm a white guy. Um, you know, I'm 36. Um, these are some identity factors of me. You guys don't know where I'm going with this. You're a little scared, I can tell. Um, so say, for instance, that there was an 80-year-old African-American lady who went to our church, um, you know, that she had five kids, and she lived in the Casey homes where we go and we, we feed folks from time to time, right? Okay, what do I have in common with her? From the world standards, nothing. If my identity is not starting with Jesus being supreme, then I do not look at her as though she has anything to share with me. But when I recognize Jesus is supreme in my list of identity factors and, and I recognize that Jesus is supreme in her list of identity factors, all of a sudden I start to recognize all of the things that I can learn from her despite the fact that we don't have really anything in common by the world standards. Okay, what if she's impoverished? What if I'm wealthy? It doesn't matter. She can still teach me to pray because my identity is not in my wealth. Okay, so what if I'm white and she's black? It doesn't matter. She can teach me about the Bible because my identity's not in my ethnicity. So what if she's a progressive and I'm a conservative? It doesn't actually matter because that's not what has the top spot in my identity factors. It is in Jesus. There is something that she has to teach me even though we're nothing alike. Which is why in the New Testament we see people from every nation gathered in Acts chapter 2 looking at each other saying, Brother, sister, dude, you're from Africa, I'm from Israel. How can I actually be your brother? Because we're one in Christ Jesus through the cross. It doesn't take away from the fact that that person's African and this person is Israeli. All those things inform who they are. They're just not the idols that define who they are. I mean, I try to be gentle with that because like culturally, like that's really going against the grain yeah. and I get that. But I just think, man, like God wants us to have greater unity. And I don't actually think that's possible until we got Jesus in that top spot. Jesus got to be in that top spot. So longings, number four. Oh, when it comes to others real quick. Uh, do you change your appearance or your demeanor depending on who you're around? Because that could be like you're idolizing that community. Number four, longings. This is about feelings. So when our feelings or our longings for the future become the source of our identity, that's called idolatry. So I'm, longings are not bad. Feelings are not bad. Wanting a good future is not bad. But when these things rule in our lives, our identity becomes extremely fragile because we're up and down on the basis of our feelings. And the reason I put the future in there because unhealthily living for the future looks like placing all of your personal value in what you're going to do one day. Does that make sense? I mean, how often have you lived and said, one day I'm going to be rich. One day I'm going to be popular. One day I'm going to be famous. One day I'm going to own this building. One day I'm going to start this ministry. One day, and then we, we live this life in such a way where all of our sense of significance is founded in what we declare we're going to do one day. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, one day I'm just going to hit it big. One day I'm going to do, one day I'm going to, one day I'm going to get married. Then I'm going to know who I am when I get married. Let me tell you, that's just going to confuse you more. Because the Bible says the two become one. So that means at least half of you has to die. 
We have to stand strong on Jesus today and who he will make us to become and what he will have us to do and what he will give us tomorrow. It's all about Jesus. And here's the last one. And I, this is last, not only because of the acrostic, but also because I want to be extremely sensitive. This is about sufferings. And you guys all know this. This suffering is a human experience. It's not, it's not a, a, a Christian experience. It has nothing to do with your religion. It, it, human beings are going to suffer in this life. Would you guys agree? We all suffer in every way. But we cannot allow our hurt to become our identity. You may have been hurt once upon a time, but can I tell you, that's not who you are. You may have been substantially wounded once upon a time, but that is not who you are. I know pain can be all-consuming, and I do not pretend to know what it's like to be diagnosed with cancer. I, I am not a, a victim of rape. Um, I have not gone through a brutal divorce. I'm, these are three things that, I mean, I just listed. I'm like, listen, th that is some of the most unimaginable suffering that I think a human being can go through. And we're going to stand with you and empathize with you if you ever were to go through those things. But listen, those things do not define who you are. That might be really, really difficult to hear if you are in the midst of that today. But let me tell you, that pain is not who you are. You're never going to be free from suffering in this life. And you must not, as a Christian, allow suffering to become your identity. As a Christian, here's what you do. You don't allow suffering to be your identity. You allow suffering to help you identify with Jesus on the cross that suffered more than anybody ever has for you. Suffering doesn't get to be your identity. Suffering gets to be the thing that you identify with in Jesus on the cross. It says we were tempted in every way that he was tempted. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. But here's what I do know, that God himself did not exempt himself from suffering, but he fully embraced suffering through Jesus Christ on the cross. There is nothing that you will go through that Jesus has not also already endured. That's why we can be safe in our suffering, knowing that, no, this does not define me. It may help explain me, but it doesn't define me. My pain may help explain me, but it doesn't define me. Here's the last statement I want to make, and this one is crucial. It is crucial. I believe for somebody in here today, it's going to be very crucial. Here's what it is. You are not what's been done for you. Or excuse me. You are not what's been done to you, but what Jesus has done for you. Let me say it better the second time. You are not what has been done to you but what Jesus has done for you. Amen? Amen? But what Jesus has done for you, and that's probably where I'm going to go next week because I want to discuss, church, what it means to be in Christ. Yes. What does it mean that you are in Christ Jesus? Oh, it's so much better than you think it is. It's so much better than you think it is because this is where our identity comes from. It's altars, not idols. So could we stand and pray? I just want to, um, I want to ask us today. I know, like, I've alluded and connected to some pretty substantial stuff, not only because of what's happening in the news and what's going on in culture, but also what's been happening in us. And a lot of this stuff, church, a lot of the stuff that I touched on today has actually moved us to a point of identity crisis. If you want to see what a full-fledged identity crisis looks like, open Facebook. It will not take long. You want to see what an identity crisis looks like? Turn on the news. And it doesn't matter if it's conservative or uh, liberal. Like, it doesn't matter. You're going to see people who are being overly protective, deflective, and dismissive of things that have far too much value in informing them who they are because they do not yet know that it is Jesus and Jesus only that can inform them of who they are ultimately. So we have to come home, church. We have to come home to who it is that God says that we are. So right now with every uh, head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't mind, I just want to ask you just for a moment to search your heart. Is there any idol 
that the Lord might be highlighting this morning. And as we're doing that, I just want to ask if there's anybody in here that just needs to come to Jesus. If you're in here this morning and you know you are lost, disconnected, and do not belong to Jesus, would you just put your hand up in the air right now? Because we're going to pray for you. I see you awesome. We're going to pray for you right now. Is there anybody else? We're going to pray and just welcome you in. Amazing. Awesome. Awesome. See a couple of hands. Let's, I just want to pray uh, with, the, with these that have lifted up their hand. And I want all of us to pray together collectively as a community just to say, Jesus, I repent of my sin and my idolatry. And I receive you and what you did on the cross. You've saved me and set me free. And I come home today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Pour your grace upon me. I live for you forever. In Jesus' name. Now for everybody in here, you may be walking with the Lord for a number of years. But you've just recognized today that the Holy Spirit has shown you, man, that is an idol in my life. I am checking with that thing before I'm checking with what God has called me to do and who God has called me to be. I know I'm called by God uh, as this to do this, and I am checking with idols, and I know it. I want you to just, in the Spirit, just smash those idols today. I want you to destroy those idols I love the kings in the Old Testament, the, the, the priests and the prophets in the Old Testament, that when it was time to, to clean up the nation and devote it back to God, what did they do? They, they went through the cities and they destroyed all the altars uh, to idols. They destroyed the Asherah poles. They destroyed the temples. They burned them down. They, they, I mean, they, they went so far as to wage war against the priests of those who facilitated the worship of these idols. They took them out in war, right? You've got to become that aggressive. Please use that and treat that as a picture of the type of urgency and severity that you should have in regards to the idolatry that the Holy Spirit may convict you of in your heart. You have to not tolerate any idolatry. You have to say, this has come before the Lord. I'm in violation of the very first commandment that was given through the Mosaic Covenant. I repent. Come on, church. It's that serious. We can't waste our life living for a created thing. We must waste our life being poured out at the feet of the Creator. He is the only one worthy of our whole heart. He is the only one worthy of all of our desires. He is the only one worthy of our affections. He's the only one worthy of our first fruits, our tithe, our money, our offering. He's the only one worthy of our marriages. He's the only one worthy of our kids, our careers, what we do 40 plus hours a week. Jesus is the only one worthy. We're not doing it for money. We're doing it for you, Lord. We're doing it for Jesus. We're living for Jesus. We're not living for an idol, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray for the courage in every single person in this room and that's watching by live stream to rise up in their spirit right now and smash every idol that would exalt itself to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Just destroy it today in Jesus' name. Every demonic principality, every spirit of the enemy that set up shop in your home, we put them on notice right now. We declare that the child of God is returning home from the temple with fire in their eyes. The Holy Ghost resting upon them to do some business in the spirit realm. Every idol, you are convicted and evicted. You are trespassing. You no longer have any hold on our bedrooms, on our living rooms, on our office spaces. We evict you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every bit of idolatry, we declare over this congregation that we are idolatry, just ruiners, just smashing idols. Just that's what we do. We look for idols. We hunt them down like the kings of the Old Testament and we destroy them with intolerance, with severity and with urgency. We don't play around with the enemy. We stand on the head of the enemy. Don't forget in the spirit, it's not peacetime. Don't think that the enemy is somehow cooperating with a ceasefire. He doesn't play nice. And even when he pretends to, he's secretly trying to sneak through the back door. Don't think that the enemy is just, 
you know, taking a time out because you went to church today. The Bible says that he roams around like a lion, you know, seeking who he can devour. We need to be mindful of this church. I'm not trying to lay it on too thick. I'm just trying to say God deserves all of the glory from your life. And we can't hold back even a little bit for the sake of a created thing. I promise you, whatever it is that you're idolizing in this season, it will have no significance to you on your deathbed. You will not care. You will not think about it. You will not care about the brand that you wore, the car that you drove, the zip code you lived in on your deathbed. You will not care. You will be investigating your heart and you will be praying and asking the Holy Spirit if you did what he called you to do before you breathe out your last breath. That is what you're going to be preoccupied by. That's what you're going to be obsessed with. It's not going to be talking to people. It's going to be talking to Jesus. I'm telling you right now, we've got to live our life with that degree of urgency because God has called us as a family to be world changers. And we cannot be world changers by tolerating idolatry. We tolerate no idolatry in Jesus' name. So as a church, Lord, we just say, we tolerate no idolatry. We build altars to Jesus. So just take that home with you today. Build an altar in your bedroom. Build an altar in your living room. Build an altar in your office space. Build an altar in your truck. Build an altar in your deer stand. I don't care. Build an altar wherever, uh, wherever you go because that's where God wants to receive your worship. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen, 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 amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.